we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 79 of Urgency of Change. Each weekly episode in this season of the Krishnamurti podcast is based on a major theme of the philosopher's talks, such as freedom, self-knowledge, beauty, intelligence and meditation. Extracts from our archives have been carefully selected to represent Krishnamurti's different approaches to each of these universal and timelessly relevant themes. This week's theme is death. Upcoming themes are thought, psychological evolution and loneliness. This podcast is brought to you by Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please see our official YouTube channel for hundreds of video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks and shorter extracts. We are a non-profit charity and rely on your support to continue to preserve and make Krishnamurti's work available. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This week's podcast has five sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's sixth talk in Ohio, 1981, titled What is the Meaning of Death? What is the meaning of death? It's very important to ask this question because it's part of our life. It's not something at the end of life. Obviously, the organism comes to an end. to disease, old age, and so on. Excellent. And we, living as we are, in conflict and misery, confusion, uncertainty, having faith in some fantastic projection of thought, cannot face that fact, what is death, what is the meaning, what is the beauty, what is the significance of it. As we pointed out earlier in these talks, our consciousness is made up of its content. The content is our life. The beliefs, the dogmas, the rituals, the fears, the sorrows, 
the anxieties, the wounds, the division of nationalities, the Christian, the Buddhist, and the Hindu, and the Islamic world, our consciousness actually is the consciousness of all mankind. So you are, your consciousness is the consciousness of all human beings. You are the entire world. The world is you. You may have different skin, you may belong to different religion, call yourself by a national, nationalistic name, but actually, psychologically we are talking about, you are like the rest of mankind, driven, uncertain, tremendously anxious, imitating, conforming and so on and so on. So, when there is death, the organism dies, and that consciousness of mankind goes on. It's only those who free themselves from that, from those contents of consciousness they liberate themselves from that, they liberate themselves from the significance of death. So we must go and inquire very closely what is the meaning of death. Have you ever ended anything without explanation, without resistance, without seeking a reward or punishment, end something. Have you? Have you ever ended completely attachment? That's what it means to die, to end. You can't, when death comes, all that is cut off, your attachment to a person. So, the significance of death, in its most profound sense of sense, is the ending. So a wise man, doesn't wait for death to end, but ends, brings to an end fear, sorrow, attachment, loneliness, sorrow. And when there is an ending so completely, there is totally a different dimension. That is only 
part of the significance of life, of death. Death has an extraordinary sense of beauty. You'll be surprised to hear it. Because with death, the ending of something also is the beginning of something else, which is love. Yes, I'll show it to you. It's good to be sceptical. It's good to doubt. It's good not to accept anything anybody says, including the speaker, especially the speaker. Doubt your gurus and they will disappear. Don't clap, sir. Doubt your own beliefs, your own longings, your own desires, your own ambitions, your own sectarian spirit. And also you should doubt, question. Be sceptical, so that you find for yourself what is truth. Not depend on anybody, the priests, the rituals, the authority, especially in the world of the spirit, in the world of so-called spirituality. One must be a light to oneself, and you cannot be a light to yourself if you are always depending on somebody else. And this dependence to end it, not in some years, but now, which is ending is death. And when you end something, in that ending there is great beauty. Not in that which is continuous, so the whole idea of personal immortality becomes nonsensical when we realise that our consciousness is the consciousness of the rest of mankind. The second extract is from the fourth talk in Madras, 1985, titled Living with Death. Have you ever asked yourselves whether you are wasting your life? Please ask it now and find out for yourself whether you are wasting it 
Of course, you have to earn a livelihood, have a vocation that's granted. But otherwise, are you wasting your life? Spending energy in things that don't matter. As we said the other day, our brains contain all memory. Our brain holds our consciousness. Our consciousness makes up the content of our consciousness makes the brain, makes consciousness, that is, the content, which is our anxiety, our fears, our beliefs, our superstitions, our faith, our quarrels, jealousy, hate, fears, sorrow, and the search for truth, all that is part of our consciousness. Right? <coughs> Clear? Your consciousness is what you are. Your consciousness is not separate from you. You are consciousness. Your feelings, your emotions. <coughs> What's the matter? It's your sentiments and so on. The whole of that consciousness is in turmoil, confusion, constantly changing, but it's limited. That consciousness is what you are. Right? This is a fact. Look at it. You don't have to accept what the speaker is saying. I'm sorry about my voice. <coughs> that consciousness is me. That consciousness <coughs> is the self-interest. That consciousness is the ego, the personality, the characteristics, the tendencies. That is the whole content of our consciousness. Right? its reactions and actions, its appreciations, depressions, loneliness and all that. And we say, is that the end of death? My consciousness dies too, or will it continue? That's what you are interested in. 
right? No? Aren't you interested in continuity of yourself? Or you want to end it quickly? Surely we all want to think and long for a continuity. Otherwise you will never talk about reincarnation. (coughs) Reincarnation implies that which you are now, not having all the opportunities, all the things, perhaps next life you will have it, a better house, more refrigerators, better cars, more power, or, if you are religiously inclined, little more saintly, more moral, not so corrupt. But it's the same desire for continuity. Right? We all want to continue. We never questioned what it is to continue. You you follow my question? We have never asked ourselves, what do I mean by continuity? Everything is changing. Our cells, our blood, our, the cells in the brain are constantly dying, renovating. And what we mean by continuity is all the memories which we have collected, all the beliefs, all the experiences, the pain, the sorrow, the loneliness, the despair, all that we want it to continue. Because we want to continue the meal, right? Am I, is the speaker saying that something false or true? Don't become suddenly silent. Everybody longs for this continuity, which is continuity as security. And if there is death, is there is the is that the end of everything? Now, what do we mean by ending? Let's go and talk about it a little bit. Have we ever <coughs> ended something voluntarily? Your anger, your jealousy, your aggression, have you ever said, I'll end it? 
not tomorrow, but now, completely ended. But where our brains are conditioned to the idea of gradation, gradualness. Therefore we never end anything. For example, one is attached. Attached to an idea, to an experience, to some form of ideal. Aren't you? To some form of a concept which the thought has created and we cling to that as security. So that we are attached to a house, to the family, to a name. And where there is attachment, there is anxiety, there is fear, there is jealousy, insurance and mortgage. All the implications of attachment. And death says that's the end of it. Right? I may be attached to my wife, to my friend, to my family, and death comes along and says, it's over. Right? Now, can you... And we want to remain attached all the time through next life. Right? I've lost my brother or my son, and I hope to meet him in next life. Don't you feel all these things, or am I talking to myself about nothing? And there's a continuity in our life through attachment, right? And to voluntarily say, I will end attachment. Have you ever done it? So we are asking, and you are asking too, do we voluntarily ever Give up anything, not as a for a reward, for itself. And you don't see the beauty of ending something completely. So ending has great significance. Right? Now the question is, why have we put death at the far end of one's life? 
because we cling to what is known. Death is unknown. And we rather live with all the turmoil we have, all the misery, the confusion, and the longings. We rather have that which we call life, living, and avoid death as far as possible, right? At the end of everything. We are asking you as a friend, can you live with death while living? You understand my question? That is, when I die, not only the organism is cremated, or buried, or whatever that his friends do to him as when he dies. And that is the end of everything, though we may want a continuity next life, but that's the actuality of your end. Now, death means that, to end, right? Can you live with death and together, life and death together? Have you ever asked that question? Will you ask it now as a friend? That to end attachment now, not in when you die. Can you end your fear now, not when you are gone? So is it possible to live? This is a very serious question. Please do pay attention to it. I'm telling my friend. To live with that. Not commit suicide, I'm not talking that. But living with death means ending everything, every minute. All that you have accumulated is memory. Of course, you cannot leave your house because you have got to pay mortgage insurance and you have to have a shelter. You can't let that go or your job. Then you will be unemployed and all the misery of it. Or you join a community or become a sannyasi, a monk, who has all, they also have their misery. So, can you, can I live every day with death? That means ending my experience every day. Only the memories of mother's experience and knowledge, that there physically they are necessary. Psychologically, 
can I end the memories? That is death. Death is going to tell us at the end of our life, boy, you can't carry your memories with you. So, to live, to, to live with death all the time, it's a marvellous thing if you do it. This is not a reward, because our memories are entirely in the brain, in the very cells of the brain. And memories which are the past is all gone, dead. Memories are no meaning, really. But yet we are full of memories which is our knowledge. You understand this is very important. Can you end knowledge today, not the knowledge of doing carpentry and technological things, but the memories, the knowledge that you have carried? Can you – I'm asking my friend, who is sitting beside me, I'm asking him, you have to have memories to do certain things in the physical world. Psychologically, don't carry a single memory. You understand? Not a single hurt. Not his word of hate or the feeling of hate or seeking power, position. Power is evil. Whether it's a political power or the power you have over your wife or husband. Any form of power or near power, being near a power is evil, ugly. And can you end all that psychologically? That means to live with death all the time. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's second question-and-answer meeting in Sanan, 1982, titled, What is it that dies? So I am asking, we are asking each other, what is, what is it that dies? Now this becomes rather complex question. My friend and I have time. It's Sunday morning and no work. So we can sit down and go into it. 
the individual that dies. Please inquire as a friend, who is it that dies? Apart from the biological ending of an organism, which has been ill-treated, which has had several diseases, illnesses, that inevitably comes to an end. You may find a new drug that will help man to live 150 years, but always at the end of 150 years, that extraordinary thing is there, waiting. Is my consciousness, the whole of it, with all its content, is it mine? That is, my consciousness is the is its content. The content is my belief, my dogmas, my superstitions, my attachment to my country, patriotism, fear, pain, pleasure, sorrow. That's and so on is the content of my consciousness and yours. So both of us, sitting on that bench, recognize this fact, that the content makes up consciousness. Without the content, consciousness as we know it doesn't exist. Right? So my friend and we see the the logic of it, the rationality of it, and so on. We agree to that. Then, is this consciousness which I have clung to as mine, and my friend also clings to it, calling ourselves individuals, is that consciousness unlike other consciousness? Right? Please be clear on this point. That is, if you are lucky to travel, observe, talk over with other people, you will find that they are similar to yours. They suffer, they are lonely, there are thousand gods, so you may have one god. They believe, they don't believe. Answers and so on. Almost similar to yours. Though on the periphery there may be varieties. On the outskirts of our consciousness, you may be tall, you may be short, you may have, be very clever, you may be scholarly, 
You have read a great deal. You are capable. You have a certain technique, efficiency. It's all on the periphery, on the outside. But inwardly, we are similar. Right? This is a fact. Therefore, our conditioning, which says we are individual, separate souls, is not a fact. This is where my friend begins to squirm, because he doesn't like the idea that he is not an individual. He can't face the fact. All his condition has been that. So we say, I, I say to my friend, look at it, old chap. Don't run away from it. Don't resist it. Look at it. Use your brains, not your sentiment, not your desire. Just look at it. Is that a fact or not? And he accepts it vaguely. So, if our consciousness is similar to all mankind, then I am mankind. You understand? Please understand the depth and the beauty of this. If I am the mankind, the entire mankind, then what is it that dies? You understand? Either I can I contribute either I move away from that entire consciousness which is me I cleanse the whole my being from that right that I am not individual that I am the whole of humanity Then is there emptying of the consciousness, which is my belief, my anxiety, my pain, my blah blah blah, all that? Is there ending to all that? If I end it, what importance is it? You follow? What importance is it? Or what value to humanity is it? I am the humanity, I am asking this question. What value, what significance has this when, after a great deal of intelligence, love and come, I observe this? And there, in that observation, there is the total ending of, that con- of those contents. Has it any value? 
value in the sense of moving humanity from its present condition. Right? You understand? Surely it has, has it not? One drop of clarity in a, in a bucket of dirt, confusion, messy, that one drop begins to act. And he questioner, my friend says, I'm beginning to understand the nature of death. I see that the things I am attached to, if I hold on to them, death has a grip on me. If I let them go each day as they arise, I am living with death. You understand? Death is the ending. So I am ending while living, Everything that I will lose when I die, right? So can I can question my friend ask, can I let go every day my accumulation? End. So that I am living with death and therefore a freshness. Not living in the past in memories. Right? So from this arises a very complex question, what is immortality? The fourth extract is from the third talk at Brockwood Park in 1975, titled, What is Immortality? The whole of the Asiatic world believes in the in reincarnation. They have proofs for it. They say so at least. That is what what's this thing extraordinary? That is the thing that has been put together through time as the me, the ego. that incarnates till that entity becomes perfect and is absorbed into the highest principle, which is Brahman or whatever you like to call it. You following all this? Does this interest you? I don't know, it doesn't matter. And. Time, please, time has created the center, the me, the ego, the person or personality, the character, and so on, the tendencies, and through time you're going to dissolve that very entity through reincarnation. You understand? Being, you see, the absurdity of that thought has created something as the me, the center. And through the through evolutionary process, 
which is time, you will ultimately dissolve that and be absorbed into the highest principle. And yet they believe in this tremendously. The other day I was talking to somebody who was a great believer in this. He said, if you don't believe it, you are not a religious man. And he walked out. And Christianity has its own form of continuity of the Me, resurrection, you know, Gabriel blowing the whistle and so on. So you have all these principles And when you believe in reincarnation, what is important is that as you are going to live next life and you suffer this life because of your past actions, therefore if you do not behave this life righteously, according to the highest principles, Next life you are going to pay for it. This is a tremendous belief. And naturally they don't behave. They just carry on like everybody else. Cruel, bitter, angry, jealous, vain, arrogant, full of antagonism, you know, bitterness. Just like everybody else. So what is important is if you if one actually really basically is committed wholly to that to that belief, it means that you must behave rightly, accurately with tremendous care now. And we don't do that. That demands superhuman energy. So, there are several problems involved in this. What is immortality? And what is eternity? Which is a timeless state, and what happens to human beings who do not, who are still caught in this in this movement of time? You understand? That is, we human beings. Live 
an extraordinarily complex, irresponsible, ugly, stupid lives. We are at each other's throats, we are, we are battling about beliefs, we are authority, politically, religiously, suppressed all freedom, and our daily life is a series of endless conflicts. And we want that to continue. And because our life is so empty, full of meaningless words, and we say, is there a state where there is no death, immortal, immortality, which is a state where there is no movement of time. I wonder if you that is time through centuries has created the idea of the self. The self, the me evolving. It has been put together through time, which is a part of evolution. (coughs) And there is inevitably death, and with the ending of the brain cells, thought comes to an end. Therefore, one hopes there is something beyond the me, the super-consciousness the super-ego, a a spark of God, spark of Truth, that can never be destroyed, and therefore that continues. And that continuity is what we call immortality. That's what most of us want. If you don't get it, through some kind of fame, <laughs> you want to have immortality, sitting next to God who is timeless. The whole thing is so absurd. So is there a continuity? Is there, no, sorry, is there? something which is not of time, which is, which has no beginning, no end, and therefore timeless, eternal. Hmm? And Our life being what it is, 
we have this problem of death, and if I, if I, a human being, have not totally understood the whole quality of myself, what happens to me when I do die? Do you understand the question? That is, a man, a human being, who has totally resolved the centre, the me, through understanding himself, through studying himself, inquiring into himself, not according to any philosopher, to any psychologist, analyst, those are all too childish, understand himself and therefore understand the world, because he is the world. And is that the end of me? I am not understood. If I have understood myself totally, then that is a different problem, which we will come to. If I have not understood myself totally, not intellectually, I am not using the word understanding intellectually, but actually aware of myself without any choice, all the content of my consciousness, If I am not deeply delved into my own structure and nature and this of consciousness, I die. What happens? Now who is going to answer this question? <laughs> now wait, wait. No, I'm putting it purposely so as to who is going to answer this question? Because we think we cannot answer it, we look for someone else to tell us. The priests, the books, and the people who have said, I know, the endless mushrooming gurus. Hmm? They will. I. If one rejects all authority, one must. Totally all authority. Then what have you left? You have then. You have the energy. Because you have rejected that which is, which dissipates energy. Gurus and hopes, fears, and somebody tell you what happened. If you reject all that, which means all authority, then you have tremendous energy. With that energy, you can begin to inquire what actually takes place when you have not totally resolved 
the structure and the nature of the self. The self being time and therefore movement and therefore division. Right? The me and the not me. And hence conflict. Now what happens to me when I am not ended that conflict? You and I and the rest of the world, if if one ha- if the speaker has not ended it, the rest of us, what happens to us? We're all going to die. I hope not soon, but sometime or other. What's going to happen? When we are living, as we are living, are we so fundamentally different from somebody else? You may be more clever, greater technique, have greater knowledge of technique, you might be more learned, you might have certain gifts, talents, inventiveness, not creativeness. Difference between inventiveness and creation are two different things. You and another are exactly like, basically. Your colour may be different, taller, shorter, but in essence you are the same. So while you are living, you are like the rest of the world, in the same stream, in the same movement. Right? And when you die, what happens? You go on in the same movement. I wonder if you understand this, what I am saying. It is only the man who is totally aware of his conditioning his consciousness, the content of it, and moves and dissipates it, he is not in that stream. I wonder if you... Am I making this clear? That is, I am greedy, envious, ambitious, ruthless, violent, so are you. And that is our daily life. Pity? Accepting authority, quarrelling, bitter, not loved, and aching to be loved, the agonies of loneliness, irresponsible relationship. That's our daily life. And we are like the rest of the world. It's a vast endless river. And when I when we die, you when I die, I'll be like the rest, moving in the same stream as before when I was living. But the man who understands himself radically has resolved all the problems in himself psychologically. He is not of that stream. He has totally stepped out of it. So there are two things involved. The man who moves 
away from the stream, his, contra- his consciousness is entirely different. Therefore, he is not thinking in terms of time, continuity, or immortality. But the other man, or the woman, lib movement, I mean, women's lib, the other man or woman is still in that. So the problem arises, what is the relationship of the man who is out and the man who is in? What is the relationship between truth and reality? Reality being, as we said, all the things that thought has put together. Reality means, in essence, the root meaning of that word is thing. And living in the world of things, which is reality, we want to establish a relationship with with a world which is which has no thing, which is impossible. You, you. What we are saying is, consciousness, with all its content, is the movement of time. In that movement all human beings are caught, and even when they die that movement goes on, but it is so. It is a fact. <coughs> and the man <coughs> or the woman, the human being, not man and woman, cut it out. The human being who sees the totality of this, that is fear, pleasure, and the enormous suffering which man has brought upon himself and created that suffering for others, the whole of that, and the nature and the structure of the Self, the Me, the total comprehension of that, not actually, then he is out of that street. The final extract is from a direct recording by Krishnamurti in 1984 titled The Extraordinary Simplicity of Dying. Today it was spring and the sky was extraordinarily blue. There wasn't a cloud in it. And the sun 
was just warm, not too hot, felt nice, and the leaves were shining, and the sparkle was in the air. It was really a most extraordinary, beautiful moon. The hills and the mountain bare, impenetrable, and the hills were green and lovely. And as you walked along quietly, without much thought, there was a dead leaf, yellow, bright red, a leaf from the autumn, dead. How beautiful that leaf was, so simple, so that's so lively, full of beauty and vitality of the whole tree and the summer. Looking at it, and looking at all this beauty around one, this simple, quiet morning, fresh, and this dead leaf. It died in great beauty. Strange it has not withered. Looking at it closely, so all the veins and the stem and the shape of that leaf, that leaf was all the tree. Why do human beings die so miserably? So unhappily, with the disease, old age, senility, body shrunk, ugly. Why can't they die naturally and as beautifully as that leaf, as this leaf, rather? What's wrong with us? In spite of all the doctors and medicines and hospitals, operations and all the agony of life, and the pleasures too, we don't seem to be able to die with great dignity, simplicity, and with a smile. Walking along the shaded lane, one heard behind 
on a chant, melodious, rhythmic, with the ancient strength of Sanskrit. One stopped and looked round. The eldest son, naked up to his waist, was carrying a pot of fire, earthenware, terracotta, and a fire burnt in it. He was holding it in another vessel, and behind him two men were carrying his dead father, covered over with a white cloth, and they were chanting. One knew what the chant was, one almost joined them. And they went past, and one followed them. They roamed round the road, chanting, and the eldest son was in tears. And they carried him to the beach, where they already collected a great pile of wood, and set the body on it, top of that heap of wood, and set it afar. It was all so supernatural, so extraordinarily simple. There were no flowers, there were no holes, there were no black carriages or black horses. It was all very simple, quiet, and utterly dignified. And looking at that leaf, and a thousand leaves up a tree, and the winter brought that leaf from its mother, and lay on that road, on the path rather, and it would presently dry up completely and wither, gone carried by the winds and lost. One should teach children, as you teach mathematics, how to write and read, and all the business of acquiring knowledge. The children should also be taught the dignity of death. Not as a morbid, unhappy thing that one has to face eventually, but something of daily life. The daily life when you look at the blue sky and the grasshopper on the on a leaf. It is part of life as you eat, as you grow teeth and have all the discomfort of childish illnesses, and the extraordinary curiosity the children have to see the nature of death, not explain it as that everything dies and dust to dust and so on, without any fear, to explain to them gently and make them feel that life 
The living and the dying is all one. Not at the end of one's life, after fifty, sixty years, or ninety, but death, dying, is like the king. Look at the old and the old men and women, how decrepit, how lost, how unhappy and how ugly they look. Is it because they are not really understood, neither the living nor the dying? They abuse life. They waste away their life. The incessant conflict, which only emphasizes and gives strength to the self, the me, the ego. And we spend our days in such varieties of conflicts and unhappiness, with some joy and pleasure, drinking, smoking, late nights and work, work, work. And at the end of one's life, face that thing called death and get frightened about it. One thinks it can all this be understood, felt deeply. And the child with his curiosity can be helped to understand that death is not merely the wasting of the body through disease old age and some unexpected accident, but the ending of every day is the ending also of oneself every day. There is no resurrection, there is superstition, a dogmatic belief. Everything on earth, on this beautiful earth, lives, dies, comes into being and withers away. To grasp this whole movement of life, requires intelligence, not the intelligence of thought or books or knowledge, but the intelligence of love and compassion with its sensitivity. One thing, one is very certain, if the educator understands the significance of death and the dignity of it, the extraordinary simplicity of dying. If he understands, not intellectually but deeply, then he can, will be able to convey to the student, to the child, that dying, the ending, is not to be avoided, is not something to be frightened of. For that is part of one's whole life. 
so that as this children, the child grows up, we never be frightened of the ending. If all the human beings who have lived before us our generation upon generations of forty, fifty thousand years, if they all lived on this earth, how terrible that would be. The beginning is not the ending. No one would like to help. No, that's wrong work, but would like in education to bring death into some kind of reality, actuality. Not of someone else dying, but each one of us, whether old or young, will inevitably has to face that thing. It is not a sad affair of tears, of loneliness, of inseparable separation. We kill so easily not only the animals for one's food, but the vast unnecessary killing for amusement called sport. Killing a deer, because that's the season. Killing a deer is like killing your neighbour. You kill animals because you've lost touch with nature, with all the living things on this earth. You kill in wars for, for so many romantic, ideological, nationalistic, political ideologies. In the name of God we have killed people. Violence and killing altogether. If one understood as one looked at that dead leaf with all its beauty and colour, then one would very deeply comprehend aware what one's own death must be, not at the very end, but at the very beginning. Death isn't some horrific thing, something to be avoided, something to be postponed, but rather to live it, day in and day out. And out of that comes an extraordinary sense of immensity.